Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Welcome to Extra Time, a web-only program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Houston. In the program this week, the enforced break of many All Blacks has provincial coaches up in arms. It's now less than a year till the Rugby World Cup kicks off, and New Zealand's only World Cup winning captain David Kirk reflects on what it takes to win the Webb Ellis Trophy. Swimmer Gareth Keane talks about his medal ambitions at the Commonwealth Games, while lawn bowler Jan Khan explains the difficulties that the Greens in Delhi will hold. Some provincial rugby coaches are less than impressed they'll be without many of their All Blacks who are on a compulsory break before the end-of-year tour. While some are turning out for their provinces, Captain Richie McCaw and fellow loose forward Kieran Reid won't play for Canterbury. Auckland will have to do without Jerome Kaino, Waikato will be without Mills Mulaina, and Wellington won't have Piriwepu, Ma'anonu, Conrad Smith or Corey Jane. The All Blacks assistant coach Wayne Smith says there's always a concern that rested players won't be match fit. But he told Denise Garland just how the coaches decide who needs to play and who needs to rest. Well, it's been quite a process, really, because you've got to take into account what's gone before, you know, how much they've played in the Super 14 and, and then during our international series. And you've got to look at the next 12 months as well. You know, there's a there's ITM cup, cup going on at the moment. There's an end-of-year tour. There's a 21-week Super Rugby competition starting in February, and then there's Tri-Nations again and World Cup, of course. And we've got an end-of-year tour going till early December so you've got to take all those things into account and have discussions really with with coaches um, which we've done consistently right through the season Darren Shan's in contact every week uh, when we're playing with coaches about who can play and who's going to be on the bench for us and then you've got to have discussions with the players themselves because they've got to be a big part of their decision making you know I think that's really important and we finalised that um, during the week before the last Sydney test. So we had 26 player meetings, which took about 20 hours, so it was a fair bit of work, and discussed each, each player individually. That's pretty much how we do it. So there's eight of the players who aren't going to get any NPC action at all this year. Why have you chosen to keep those guys back until the end of year tour? Well, those are guys who have had a big workload, it's as simple as that, and so it's a, it's a player, player welfare issue. Not only have they had a big number of games, but they've had a, a big physical impact, most of them. And there's the odd one there, who's a young guy who's had a big workload in the, in the Super Rugby competition, has um, either played or been on the bench for the All Blacks in nine test matches, has a low, a young training age and really needs to recover. So they've all got different reasons, but they're all pretty good reasons. Wellington seems to have lost a couple of their players. I think four of them aren't going to be making it onto the park for the Wellington side. How does the coach feel about that? Well, we'll be talking to coaches as we've done right through the season. And there's been 
quite an extensive process of of talking to PU coaches before our season, then during the season, discussing which players are, are available. When we've played test matches in New Zealand, the players who aren't sitting on the bench have gone back and played ITM Cup, so there's, there's been ongoing discussion about that. And then, you know, we're always open to dialogue, and I'm sure that'll happen. Are you worried that some of these players who are going to be rested over the next four weeks will be a bit rusty come Australia in a couple of weeks' time? That's been an ongoing issue, though, year after year, you know, because what what's happening this year is effectively what's happened every other year, in that some players have played five ITM Cup games, some have played four, some played three, some played none. And so it, it is an issue, and, and you've got to be aware of that. Um, but you've got to balance that off against player welfare, how they're travelling at the moment. And they've got a two-week holiday anyway, which is part of their contract, and I don't think anyone would begrudge someone who's been working 10 months pretty solid, two weeks off. Uh, some of them have chosen not to use it two weeks. That's an individual decision, but you know, generally you encourage people to take the break if, if they can get it and then, and then get back on the horse. When will uh, the All Black commitments start again? I mean, will the guys meet up before the end of the NPC? Oh, yes. We, like, we're, we're gone before um, the end of the NPC, so we assemble, I think, around the 20th of October, and then we leave for Hong Kong about the 21st or 22nd of October, I think, and, and play Australia over there on the 30th. So, so yeah, the, the players that are sick in that 30-man squad will be gone before the semi-finals. That's All Black assistant coach Wayne Smith talking to Denise Garland. The countdown clock in Auckland to Rugby's World Cup is now showing less than 365 days. Since winning the inaugural competition 23 years ago, the All Blacks haven't won it since, leaving David Kirk as the only All Blacks captain to hold the trophy aloft in triumph. I think I knew from that first match against Italy that this was a team that just had the most talent of any team I'd played in, in the All Blacks. I didn't know how good that team was going to be throughout the tournament and we needed to continue to improve and build and, and be ready for the final, but um, it was such a talented team. Uh, and it just emerged at the start of the World Cup. And, of course, it went on for three years and, and didn't lose a match. So uh, it did prove to be one of the greatest all-black teams of all time. But it emerged. Much of that final must have gone by in a blur. When did you realise you'd won? Because I've read that it was when you scored your try. The moment that I went over the line, I had this just wonderful feeling, this, this completely sort of... I just felt absolutely... I knew in my bones that we were the World Cup champions. I just knew we were going to win. I think that took the score to um, 18 to 3 or something like that. So at that point, I just knew we were going to win. And so that was the moment. It wasn't the final whistle. I didn't have any particular feeling. The final whistle was just a confirmation of what I already knew. But the moment I scored that try, I just thought, this is amazing. We've won the World Cup. And, and I was, I'm pleased that that feeling came during the course of the game. So I remember banging my fist on the ground thinking, Unbelievable! We're the world champions, and then of course we played out the last three minutes, and and we scored a try right from the kickoff. Uh, so again, the, the feeling just carried on as a euphoric feeling, which carried on. The pressures of playing on home soil is something that the current All Blacks are going to have to deal with next year. Um, did you feel the same back then? I do think there were extra pressures because you, you you're in gay, you're in immersed in the culture. You can't go anywhere. You can't do anything without New Zealanders looking at you and, and saying, "Don't let us down." They mightn't say it, but that's what they're thinking, and that's what the team certainly felt. 
that the whole nation was saying, don't let us down, you know, you've got to win, you've got to win. It means so much to us. So that was a bit more pressure. But on the other hand, being at home and having a routine, having a rhythm, having playing conditions that we are very familiar with was also a big advantage. So if Richie McCaw does come asking, what will you tell him you did back in 87 to win that World Cup? We never looked beyond one game, and the World Cup was another game. The thing that was slightly different in the final was that we really knew that this was it. We probably had one opportunity in our playing careers to be world champions, uh, and we either took it or we didn't, and that was different. But uh, I remember at halftime it was all about, in those days coaches weren't allowed to, allowed to come on the field, so it was the captain and senior players talking. Um, the whole thing was, um, let's just do the work. Let's focus on the basics. Let's do the work. Let's grind it out. It's tough, but the end of it will win. It was nothing about, you know, play with flair, it was do the work, let's do the set pieces, let's not make mistakes, let's play down the right end of the field. We knew that this team had a fantastic potential um, and we just we never really missed a beat. We swapped the teams around a bit, uh, but basically the team just played with, played extraordinarily well from the start and, and we felt good. I mean, there's a lot of pressure in the World Cup, but we always knew, at least I always felt like if we played to our ability, no one would beat us. So it gives you a sense of confidence and and a sense of inner strength in a tournament like the World Cup. If you just genuinely believe, if you play to your ability, it's in your hands to win the World Cup. That's former All Blacks captain David Kirk talking to Seb Lose. You're listening to Extra Time, a web-only sports programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. Up until last month, Gareth Keane wasn't a name well-known in the sporting world, but that's been changing in the wake of strong performances at the recent Pan Pacific Swimming Champs at both senior and junior level. After finishing fifth in the 200 metres backstroke final at the senior Pan Pax in California, Keane went on to win the 100 and 200 metre junior finals in Hawaii. The 18-year-old from Upper Hutt set a new championship record in the 100 backstroke heats in Hawaii, then produced a career-best 1 minute 57.78 seconds in the 200, ranking him third in the Commonwealth. Unlike most of the North Shore-based New Zealand team, Keane lives and trains in Wellington, he told Barry Guy his performances over the past couple of months have exceeded all expectation. From what I've seen over the last few weeks, I feel that I'm definitely ahead of schedule with what we were planning me to be able to do in the coming Commonwealth Games. So I'm quite excited with what's going to happen there. Uh, something at the Senior Pan Packs is a good experience and being able to back up, doing even quicker time at a Junior Pan Packs just made me feel very confident with what's ahead. Say a year ago, had had you targeted the Commonwealth Games? Did you seek selection thinking you'd get there? Yeah, last year I um, narrowly missed out on the World Champs swim team to Rome, so I really kind of knuckled down and really wanted to achieve the um, qualification criteria to make the Commonwealth team. So I really had my eyes on it, and uh, once I made it, really everything's gone from there. Are you a full-time swimmer at the moment? What's your daily schedule sort of thing? Yeah, I'm definitely a full-time swimmer. I uh, was completing a few courses in um, commerce and administration at Victoria University uh, earlier this year in the first semester, but the second semester I've had off just to focus on swimming. I am currently doing about eight swim sessions and about three gym sessions each week. Now, though, I suppose you'd be... So, are you tapering off a bit? Is that what happens? No, uh, I tapered off going into the Pampax and the junior Pampax swim meet, so I really had to get back into New Zealand and train another two to three hard weeks before I start tapering again. So this is currently my first week 
that I'm in training and I'll be tapering in another two or so weeks when we head off to uh, Abu Dhabi for our pre-camp for the Commonwealth Games. Now your coach is Gary Hurring, uh, I understand an expert backstroker himself? Yes he was. What sort of influence has he had? He's a great influence as he kind of mentors me and uh, how to uh, swim my races and as a coach you need to have someone there to um, understand what you're going through and uh, it's been a great help. He obviously trains me to become a trainer backstroker, you know, you can't train for multiple, multiple disciplines all the time so him being a trainer backstroker himself has really helped me. So uh, he's been great help in getting me to where I am now. Was there a stage where you had to uh, specialise in the backstroke, was there? I never really um, began specialising. It just kind of came to me, and uh, from there I have uh, specialised my training towards becoming the um, best backstroker I can over the last few years. So it really just came naturally, and from there we kind of took it on board and uh, have trained it to be what it is now. And how do you, you know, I imagine it's for a swimmer because you pretty much do it on your own. I mean, is it difficult as a, what, an 18-year-old to sort of focus on what's required? No, not really. I find you need to have some sort of discipline to uh, do what uh, the best you can and get to this sort of level. I've obviously got a lot of training partners around my age, which are a great help. So through them, it kind of um, means that something becomes a bit of a social thing as well. Uh, obviously, we're training quite a few hours each week, so being um, close to them and having them there to like help me along is really great. You swim for the Capital Swim Club, but um, doesn't the majority of the elite squad swim out of North Shore at the Institute up there? Yeah, so most of them are at the Millennium Institute up in Auckland, apart from um, myself and Natalie Wiggersma, who trains down in South, and we're the only two outside Auckland who are in the Commonwealth swim team. But um, I find it not much of a hassle, obviously. Um, I go up there occasionally just to meet with the head coach and um, train with the swimmers, but I kind of enjoy being in Wellington myself as it gives me kind of a different scene to really train and be away from everything, and um, definitely having Gary down here has been a bonus. You're the champion backstroker for New Zealand, are you? At the moment, yes, I currently am. Obviously, me and Daniel Bell um, both compete for the same spot, and it's great because it really lifts our game um, continuously. We both want to beat each other, so... uh, at the moment, I am, uh, but you never know what's going to come for you, so it kind of keeps me on edge and makes me want to train that bit harder. And are the Australians the ones to beat at uh, Delhi, are they? Currently, there's actually two Great Britain swimmers that um, are in front, but with um, Ashley Delaney over in Aussie, I'm third equal along with him in the standings for uh, the 200 backstroke of the Commonwealth Games, so... There's definitely competition over there, but the harder competition looks to be like it'll be coming from Great Britain. What are you expecting from uh, the Commonwealth Games? I mean, is it going to be nervous for you, or, you know, you've done some big meets? Uh, Yeah, I've done some big meets this year, so I'm definitely starting to get prepared for it. Uh, I don't think I'll be too nervous. I think I'll be more excited for the challenge ahead of me. Uh, With the uh, swimmers there, I'm really not too worried. It'll be just great to go up against them, and uh, I'm not too sure what will come from it. Obviously, we're looking for a medal there, but uh, anything can happen, and really, I just want to do my best. Yeah, Jan Cameron, in recent years, has said that you know she wants athletes to be able to p- perform at their best at the big meets, because for a lot of people going to the Commonwealth Games, the, the occasion, perhaps, or the way that they've uh, trained in some way, reaching your personal best it becomes quite an issue. 
I think some people can get quite caught up with the whole scheme of the Commonwealth Games or the Olympic Games where um, you've really got a lot of pressure on you. Uh, I don't think that's happened to me as yet, so hopefully it'll continue that way as I don't normally get caught in what happens. But really, I think from what I've done over the last few years, I normally do strive and achieve quite well at high-level meets, so I don't think that's going to be much of an issue for me. That's Gareth Keane talking to Barry Guy. And you're listening to Extra Time, a web-only sports show from Radio New Zealand Sport. The only member of the Commonwealth Games Lawn Bowls team to win a medal in Melbourne four years ago says the artificial greens in Delhi and the heat will be a test of patience and stamina. Jan Kahn, the 2006 Pairs bronze medalist with her sister Marina, played in Delhi in April and says the synthetic surface is a lot heavier than grass and it's also a lot slower. She told Murray Williams the grass surfaces she's been training on in Christchurch are about twice as fast as the game's greens. Of course, with the added heat over there, you've really got to just develop proper stance in your technique and delivery to manage to reach the bowl there because it's, it's like driving every bowl. So you can just imagine it's quite a full workout after so many hours on the green. And with the heat over there, I must admit it was 40 pluses. So this time, end of September, October, you know, from 42s to 47s in April, it'll be down to about 35, 36. That's still a good Norway stay in Christchurch, though, isn't it? That's right, it certainly is. But, I mean, we've been away to Fiji, so simulating the heat, the ground speed. We've just come back from Malaysia, same thing. So we're looking for that heat and, you know, just simulating... um, the ground speed as well. So we've had a lot of training as far as, um, you know, looking at the the conditions. I guess you'll need to uh, you, you'll keep up your fluid levels and cooling down. Well, definitely the that. rehydration is a big part of it. Um, and, of course, using your sanitizers, drinking bottled water, uh, it's just all part and parcel of being away in these countries. So... You know, it's just it, it right down to just brushing your teeth with bottled water. How easy it is just to get the water out of the tap. But no, um, it, that's just been a big learning curve on, you know, like health reasons, sanitizers, just rehydration, which fortunately for us, um, Integra have come on board so we can order our sports hydrate through them and that's all covered through Sports Foundation. So it's been we've been very fortunate to have this on board every athlete so hydration is a big part so we take the powder away with us mix it up and and over there we've since learned these slushies actually cool you down cool your temperature core temperature down a lot quicker so they've got machines over there New Zealand by well, the NZ OC are taking machines over for athletes to use so we're going to be having these slushy drinks during the day made up with our sports Hydrate. Yeah, I talked to the guy that. Tell me about your teammates, in particular Manu, your lead. Uh, I've played with Manu in the. God, that was a lead up to World Bowls. We played in the Asia Pacifics games held here in Christchurch. So I played with Manu in the fours. She actually played two in the four. There was Mary Campbell, Manu, my sister Marina, three, and I was Skip. So that was really about the first time. In any hard competition, I'd played with Manu, and we won a gold medal. We really gelled well as a team, getting to know 
her, I suppose, because, see, we're from all over New Zealand, so it's only the time we get together is training camps, anything that's organised through Bowls New Zealand, so we don't get to see one another a lot or play together a lot. But we had the, fortunately for us, we played the fours together at that time and we played the triples. Manu led for, and Marina too, and myself skip, and we won a bronze medal. Val's a uh, running world champ, so presumably she's going to have be a bit of a um, a bit of a target over there. What about Genevieve Belden? Genevieve, uh, she's leading for uh, Karen Coombe in the triples, and she is absolutely a steady bowler, very consistent. She's had a lot of international experience. Uh, she's been away and played in the Hong Kong pairs with Val Smith and and the singles. So no, she's uh, a a top bowler. I mean, you know. I would say that we all are, we're there at the moment, but, um, you know, she's, she's just very consistent, very steady, puts a lot of time in, which we all do. You know, it's all time and taken on the green. So, it's, no, she's, she's a very compatible player. And very young. Very young, yes. Because the thing is, you know, these days, uh, they bring them through the schools, secondary schools. So she was amongst the Kitty Hawks and then comes through you know, back then in my day, we didn't have all that, you know. Fortunately, now these days, they get the proper coaching and training. So that, that's brought through from secondary schools all the way through to Kitty Hawks. And so, I mean, she's, she's had all that guidance and expertise. You know, that's one thing about bowls. It's a great leveller and all ages can play it. I must admit, when I started and I was, what, 30, I said, oh, gosh, I said to mum, look, you know, this, that, that's a... For the pensioners, when you retire, you, you look at bowls. I sort of looked at, you know, once you retire from work. But um, no, it's just, once I got out there and gave it a go, it's just, honestly, it's just so challenging. And you wouldn't believe how fit you've got to be to play the, the game. If you're out there playing two games of fours, you could be out there nine hours. You know, that's a long day. That's bowler Jan Khan talking to Murray Williams. And that's extra time for this week. Feedback's welcome, of course. You can email us at sport at radionz.co.nz and you can get the latest sports news anytime on our website. And we'll be back next week with a web-only edition of Extra Time. Bye for now. I'm Stephen Hewson. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.